I don't know exactly how long it's been since I've been here, but I believe, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around 33 or 32 years ago. Long time. The interstates were not here. I drove up Route 2, best of my memory, drove up the river and met with the folks here, and they're sweet now as they were then. Turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 1. This chapter begins with divine election. It ends with a spiritual regeneration brought about by the preaching of the gospel. He said we're born again. Born again. He talks about that gospel that those old prophets set forth before us in types and symbols, set forth in their prophecies of that coming one. And he said they sought diligently to find out who what, what manner of people these things were for, to whom it was revealed it wasn't unto them, but it was for us, for us. And he said, those things are now proclaimed to you by those who preach the gospel with the Holy Ghost. Oh, how I hope. That's what the Lord will do with me tonight. My daughter was down visiting, and one of my grandchildren, she was too young to sit in the service at the time, and she had to go back to the back. And as she passed by, she stopped and was staring at me. And I turned to see what the problem was, and she said, Papa, I said, yes, honey. She said, are you going to say the words? Oh, I said, I hope so. I hope so. First Peter chapter 1 is the story of every believer. From Adam to the last of God's elect, who shall be called out of darkness, called out of the darkness of sin and deceit, and I tell you, children of God, never get tired of hearing the story. Do you? I don't care who tells it. I love to hear it. God hath from the beginning chosen you unto salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now my intention and my hope and my prayer to God for you today is that you might see with the eyes of your mind and heart that Christ is all, just as Paul sang a few moments ago. And in that seeing and understanding that you might embrace Him. Not embrace it. Embrace Him that you might see Him, that you might know Him,
that you might see yourself in Him and all embrace Him. Rejoice in Him and find rest for your weary souls. Now let me give you several things to help you get the full sense of this verse before I get down to my text. First of all, I want you to see whom Peter directs these words of comfort to, these words of comfort and assurance. He writes in verse 2, elect. This world don't like that word. I've learned that. It took me 30-some years, but I've learned that. They don't like it. They don't like it. And the reason they don't like it is because they're up here looking down instead of down here looking up. When the Lord brings you down and shows you what you are and who you are and what kind of state you're in, oh, election looks good then, don't it? Huh? Look there. God made provision. And like John, you see a door open, an effectual door. Everything written in this book is written, preserved, and made known to God's elect. It is the children's bread. Marvin and I was telling him about a passage I read in John 15 about the friends of God. And who are these friends? Well, he said these friends are those that my father tells what he's doing. This world don't know what God's doing. God's friends know. They know. And I asked our folks, I said, what does God the Father tell His Son to tell His friends? I made provision for you before the foundation of the world. I appointed my Son, your surety, your covenant head, your representative. When the fullness of the time has come, He's going to come. He's going to be made of a woman. He's going to manifest a union like this world has never known. And he's not going to take to himself the nature of angels. He's going to take to himself the seed of Abraham. And as a man, man and God in one person, he's going to stand before that holy law and for his people obey that law in every jot and tittle. What does he tell his son to tell his people? He's the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes it. Oh, my soul, what he tells his friends. Everything in this book is written, preserved, and made known to God's elect. It is the children's bread. Now, religion's quick to distribute God's blessings to every man born of Adam. But you won't find that in the Scriptures. They call the Lord the universal Savior. The universal Savior, teaching that his life, his death, and his resurrection was for all men. I remember one time, I don't remember how I came about the money. I used to do contract work, and I suppose somebody paid me in cash or something, but I had uh, whoever it was paid me in $20 bills, and they gave me like four or $500 in $20 bills, and I laid it up on my dresser. And my daughter was about seven or eight years old, and she saw that money up there and had no sense of what it was, and she took it and put it in her pocket and took it to school. And uh, 
about 11 o'clock or so, the teacher called my wife and said, Are you aware, did you give your daughter permission to pass out $20 bills to the class? (laughs) Of course, we realized immediately that she'd seen this money and not understanding the value of it, the purpose of it, or the labor of earning it, only thing she knew was the benefits. You go store them by candy. You can have anything you want if you have the money to buy it. She understood the benefits of it, so she simply took it and gave it out to anyone and everyone who would have it. And it's the same thing in false religion. All they know about Christ is the benefits. They don't know anything at all about the justice of God that had to be satisfied. They know nothing whatsoever about a law that had to be exalted and honored. They know nothing whatsoever about an eternal purpose. They know nothing whatsoever about that glorious character of God. All they know is the benefits. And they're quick to pass them out to whoever wants them. Beloved, the death of Christ is sufficient. I'll I'll say this. It's sufficient to save every man, woman, and child from the beginning of time to the end of time. And I can preach it. And am commanded to do so to every creature without prejudice. Black or white, yellow, red, old, young, male, female, bond or free. Whosoever will, the scripture said, let him take of the water of life freely. But this does not mean that his life, death, and resurrection was a universal offer. Had universal intent. Or that his blood and righteousness was given for all men. The willingness of men, the hearing and obeying of men, the surrender and commitment of men is but the evidence of their election of God. That's what it is. It's the fruit of it. It's the fruit of it. Let me show you these two doctrines stated clearly in the Scriptures. Turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And look down at verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Who's going to come? All that the Father gave him. All that the Father gave him. What about if a man's willing to come and the Father didn't give him? He won't be willing. My people, he said, and we know who that is, my people shall be willing in the day of my power. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, 
but raise it up again at the last day. Now here's the other doctrine. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise Him up at the last day. It's the same people. Huh? It's the same people. And the Jews murmured at Him. They murmured at His doctrine. They mocked His person and purpose. In verse 43, Jesus said to them, He said, murmur not. Don't murmur. Are you listening? No man can come unto me except my Father which sent me draw him and I'll raise him up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. How do you know if you're one of God's elect? How do I know if God the Father taught me? How do I know that I'm standing here before a crowd of people? Some of you driven four and five hours to be here. Some of you more than that. How do I know that I know God? How do I know that I know Christ? How do I know that I'm not deceived with the rest of the world? John said, we know we are of God. How do you know that? I'll tell you how I know it. I come to Christ. And that's how you know it. You come to Him. You come to Him. If you come to Him, you've been taught of God. If you don't, you've not been taught of God. Peter addresses this letter to the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, grace unto you. Grace, oh my soul. Grace unto you. And peace be multiplied. Beloved, it's not in my hands or yours to determine who is or who is not the elect of God. I don't know who they are. It's ours simply to declare the truth and wait for the God of election, and wait for the Lord of salvation, and wait for the Holy Spirit to accomplish this sanctifying work. Tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Preach to them the gospel, and then watch to see what God does. See what God does. Oh, I've known so many preachers over the years that tried to do the work. Try to do the work. Get them down the aisle. Get them to a bench. Get them to a pool. Get them to a doctrine. Get them to something. Get this work done. Close the deals. Some of you salesmen know exactly what I'm talking about. Close the deal. We got to, got to close with the sinner. No, you just point him to Christ. The Holy Spirit will take care of the closing. He'll take care of all that. Oh, election's not salvation, it's unto salvation. All right, here's the second thing I want you to see in the text. 
that the blessings which the Father purposed in our election were fully accomplished. Can you hear what I'm saying? Fully accomplished by His Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this in verse 3 here in 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. All these eternal blessings purposed by the Father to His elect has been trusted to, it's not been trusted to any of Adam's children, it's been trusted to his son. In Ephesians chapter 1, he tells us he, he first trusted in Christ. And that's not talking about you, he talks about you in the next verse. That verse is talking about God the Father who first trusted in Christ. You go back to the garden, you go back to the end of creation, and he's, he's all the days are fulfilled. And it said, and God rested from all His works. Didn't He know Adam was going to fall? Did God not know Adam was going to fall? Was God not aware that Satan fell into the earth and would deceive the woman? Did God not know in a few generations... Every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was going to be evil continually? Did he not understand that through the fall of Adam, the whole human race was going to be cursed? Did he not understand that man, in just a few years, he would have to destroy the world and just save a few souls in an ark? Did he not understand before the building of the Tower of Babel and, and all the false religion that scattered throughout? Was God ignorant of those things? No. Then how could he rest? He trusted in Christ. In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. I tell you, if God can trust him, you can. You can. The eternal blessings purposed by the Father to his elect not been trusted to any of Adam's fallen raised, but we are to the praise of the glory of God who first trusted in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that we're predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. In verse 6, He said, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the blood, in whom we have, not trying to get, but have redemption, through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And everything that Jesus Christ did upon this earth, He did to accomplish the redemptive will of the Father toward His elect. What He did, He did as their representative and substitute. And in our holy representative, we uh, fully humbled ourselves and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is the mind of the believer. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus the Lord. In our holy representative, 
we exalted the law to its rightful place and made it honorable. It's exalted as far as all people say, y'all just don't preach the law at all. You just dishonor the law altogether. I was up in Washington, D.C. a few years back. And uh, I'm not really an, an art fan or an art lover, but I do appreciate good art. And we went over there, and I'm telling you, I walked in that place. And hanging down that wall is these something I've read about in years gone by, the Dutch masters. Don said he thought that was cigars. Those paintings were so real and dimensional, and you look at those, I'm telling you, every stroke, a stroke of genius on those paintings. No wonder they called them masters. And I was sitting there, there's a little bench there you can sit and look at these paintings, and I was looking at these paintings, and I looked over in the corner, and there's a big burly guy standing over there about 6'8", weighed about 275, and no fat on him whatsoever. I said, reckon why he's over there. He said, pull out a pen knife or a brush and head toward one of those paintings and you'll see why he's over there. (laughs) Can you imagine a man, a fallen sinful man, trying to touch up the glory of the righteousness of Christ? Uh, God not going, Paul said, God forbid. And he does. God forbid. It's perfect just like it is. Anything that you do to it, you're going to spoil it. Leave it alone. It's My point tonight, what I'm working on, it's the, all these things are fully accomplished. He's the end of the law. You take it any way you want to take it. He's the end of the law for righteousness. Listen to everyone who believeth. Not to some of them, all of them. All of them. He exalted the law to its rightful place and made it honorable, a law that allows compromises no law at all. A law that has respect to a man's person is no law at all. A law that sets guilty men free without satisfaction for their crimes is no law at all. But in Christ, our holy representative and substitute, God's justice has been fully satisfied and His law upheld in perfect harmony with His glorious character. In Christ alone, God can be just and justifier of all that believe on His Son. God does not simply cast His blessings on men at random and without purpose and reason. All that God has purposed to bless His elect has been trusted into the hands of our covenant surety who has accomplished all things. And this is that everlasting covenant of grace which David uttered in his dying breath, saying it's ordered in all things and sure. You know why it's sure? Because of the surety. It's sure. It's ordained in all things by God the Father, and it's sure by the accomplishments of Christ our covenant surety. Listen to these words of assurance that Peter writes by divine inspiration. He said, we're begotten again. 
raised to life out of spiritual death, begotten again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now let me tell you something. If Christ did not fully accomplish the Father's redemptive will, then He cannot help hopeless sinners. He can't help them. Can't help them. God is holy and righteous and just, and He will not and cannot compromise His character, not even to spare His own Son. It said, He that spared not His own Son. He didn't spare it. We would have. But He wouldn't. When God raised up His Son on the third day, He declared to heaven, earth, and hell that all for whom He lived and died were fully and freely justified once for all. In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Paul said He was delivered for our offenses. Let that sink in. He was delivered for our offenses. And He was raised again for our justification. Fully accomplished. Fully accomplished. In this living hope, who is now seated at the right hand of God, exalted, accepted, seated as the King of glory. And you know what He holds in His hands? Our inheritance took possession of our inheritance for us. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, He quickened us, those of us who were dead in trespasses and sins, He quickened us together with Christ, raised us up together with Christ. We stepped onto the cloud with Christ and the angels as He ascended up into glory, and it said we seated with Him in heavenly places. Expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Took full possession of our inheritance. We don't have an inheritance that, I don't know. I just don't know, you know. I don't know if it's going to be there or not, you know. My soul. He has possession of it. He told those Jews over there. He said, if you be the Christ, tell us plainly. He's been telling them for 33 and a half years. You be the Christ, tell us. He said, I told you. I told you. You believe not because you're not my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice. They hear it. And they follow me. I know them. They know me. And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they'll never perish. Never perish. Can't perish. It's an impossibility for him to perish. And no man going to pluck him out of my hand. Where's your hope? Huh? Where's your hope? Lord, mine's in his hand. Huh? In his hand. In his hand. There's nowhere I'd rather be. In his hand. 
Peter said, In this living hope, who's now seated at the right hand of God, exalted, accepted, seated as the King of glory, is our inheritance, now listen to this, which is incorruptible, not even a shadow of a possibility of corruption. And it's undefiled and never will be. And it can never fade away. Never fade away. Now listen. Reserved in heaven for you. Reserved in heaven for you. Brother Barner told a story one time about a dream he had. I don't know if he made it up. I do sometimes. Fits a message. But he said he had a dream. And he woke up and he was in the middle of something like a great amphitheater is the way he described it. And he said as far as you could see, there were people sitting singing the most beautiful hymn that ears have ever heard. Oh, he said, I wanted, I wanted to get up there somewhere in that crowd. I wanted to get up there, but there wasn't any place to get. It was full. There was people just rose and rose, and they just went up on this great mountain as high as you could see. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, I looked way up there, and it looked like a little void between two people up there. And he said, I took off running up these steps and and." Excuse me, excuse me, he said, and he went down that aisle of people and he got all the way down there to that seat. And when he got down there, it said on the back of the seat, Rolf Barnard, reserved in heaven for you. Huh? An inheritance in him. I'm telling you, people chasing experiences and, and they're looking for dreams and vision and, and looking for power to heal and power to get rich and power to do this and power to do... We have an inheritance reserved in heaven. Heaven's treasure. Right there. Set your affections on that, Paul said. Not on this. Set your affections on this. Reserved in heaven for you. God Himself came down in the person of a man and fully accomplished our redemption and then He was raised up into heaven itself to guarantee our salvation. That's a living hope. And it's the hope of all God's elect. Now watch this. Here's the third thing I want you to see. This hope is sealed in the hearts of all God's elect by the divine gift of faith. And they're preserved in this faith by the power of God unto the day of His appearing. This inheritance, which is incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, is reserved in heaven for you who are kept. See it there in verse 5? Kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, which is ready to be revealed 
in the last time. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. I hope I don't do what I did at the house the other night. I quoted scripture for 15 minutes and told them it was in Colossians and I was, the scripture was in Philippians. <laughs> so. But he wrote to the Philippians and encouraged them in the faith and listened uh, what he was pleased to say here. Here, here, was, here was his confidence down here in Philippians 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing that I can convince you to come down to the front. Ain't what he said. Being confident in your commitment to Christ. Ain't what he said. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. All right, preacher, but how does a man determine if God's begun a good work in him? Because that work always leaves him hoping completely and fully upon the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're hoping in anything else, it ain't God's work. That's yours. His work leaves you hoping in His Son. It's not Christ plus your works, not Christ plus your will, not Christ plus your decisions, not Christ plus this or that or the other. It's Christ alone. Christ alone. The hymn writer said, In my hand no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Sink or swim, I trust in Him. In Him, Paul said, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He preached Christ alone. And as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, He said, so walk ye in Him. Just that way. Walk in His righteousness. Walk in His love. Walk in His atonement. Rooted and built up in Him. Established in the faith. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you're complete in Him who's the head of all things. I listen to men talk about faith who don't know about faith. It's not clenching your fist and setting your jaw and trying, Boy, I'm going to believe rest. <laughs> I like to see it. I just like to see it. I tell you, when God puts a new heart in you and takes his finger and overcomes that strong man and casts him out. You know, I, did, I didn't realize I read that the other day when he's talking about taking that strong man down. People visualize that, a big battle on a big... That's not what it says. He said he took his finger and cast out the devil like a fly. Cast him out. When God does that work, faith will be as natural as breathing. Huh? The reason it's so unnatural to men is because they walk in darkness. They walk in ignorance. They, they don't know God. They don't know what kind of condition they're in. They don't know anything. 
They're religious as all get out, but they don't know God. They don't know God. And when He shows you these things and shows you Christ and shows you your sins, convinces you of these things, and then opens that door and lets you see Christ, it's just as natural as breathing to trust in Him. Faith is hearing and understanding that the Father's purpose to save a people in Christ and that Christ Himself has fully accomplished that salvation and now sits as our guarantor in glory. And you surely shall, Peter said, have this faith tried, but don't worry about it. It's just God proving His gold. He's just getting rid of some of the dross and Setting it aside, these things are precious. They have to be done. And, and it, it has nothing to do with your inheritance. It has nothing to do with the security of your soul. You're going through this. You're his child. He's going to prove your faith to this unbelieving world. And even though you go through these things and your faith is tried and tested, it shall be found unto honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Peter said, Whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now watch this. Here's my whole text. I had to say all that, just say this. Verse 9. Receiving the promise of your faith. No. That's not what it said. Receiving the end of your faith. What's that mean? That means if I receive Him, I've got it all. I've got it all. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. The gospel does not leave men hoping in their works or will or ways. The gospel sets before men an accomplished redemption in Christ that saves to the uttermost. All who come unto God by Him. And this is my hope. May God reveal this to your hearts for Christ's sake. May you be the happiest man this side of heaven if He does. Oh, my soul. Thank you.